For a message today, I would like to consider the subject of covetousness. I invite you to Luke chapter 12. I want to begin here in Luke chapter 12. In verse 15 of this chapter, Jesus says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. I will read Luke 12, 13 through 15 at this time. Then one of the crowds said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And so a request is brought to Jesus to help solve a family inheritance issue. Now we don't know exactly what the issue was here. Among the Jews, if you were the oldest child, you would receive a double portion of the inheritance. If you were a younger sibling, well, you would receive a single portion. And that's how it was, that's how things were done. And as I was studying this, I read that it's possible the person complained of in the text was likely the elder brother who may have wished to keep the whole inheritance to himself, a problem that was common among the Jews. Now Jesus, being Jesus, knew the hearts of these men. He knew what the issue was. And I believe in verse 15, Jesus speaks directly to the root of the dividing of the inheritance problem. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. In other words, life is more than possessions. Life is more than accumulated wealth. And to drive this point home, Jesus spoke a parable to them, beginning in verse 16. And let's read that at this time. Verse 16 of Luke 12. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain man, rich man, yield plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will those things be? which you have provided. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now the dictionary definition of covetousness is grasping for more. At least that's one of the definitions. Grasping for more. Covetousness is the sin of selfishness where a person is never content. 
When John D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world, someone asked him how much money was enough. He replied, just a little more. The man who we just read about, the man whose crops yielded plentifully, the man who pulled down his barns and built greater, God called this man a fool, which literally means stupid. Why? Because wealth is not a permanent possession. Someone else will take what we have after we die. And so to hoard wealth and possessions is stupid. I didn't say that, I'm just saying what God said. <laughs> Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so today, I believe it would do us well to ask ourselves, where is my treasure? Where is my heart? What is my attitude about my stuff? The things that we call ours. The man we just read about, it was all about him. In that short little passage, we find the word I six times. I, I, I will, I will, I will, I will do this, and I will do that. God said, man, you're a fool. A story is told of a peasant who murmured to a giant landholder of the unfairness of it all. You have all this land, and I have nothing. Knowing the nature of men, the landholder promised to give the peasant all the land he could walk around in a whole day. And as the story goes, the peasant started his journey when the sun first appeared in the morning. He started out running. He wanted to get all he could get before the sun went down that evening. Well, you know the story. His greediness cost him his death. That evening, as the sun was setting in the west, he arrived back at his starting point. He was all weary. He was worn out. He was run down. He got back, and he had a heart attack and he fell down and died. He ended up with nothing. Now, we would never be so foolish, would we? I mean, I was thinking about this. If I had this opportunity, I would just go down to the intersection of Green Level and Lee Sidmore. I'd head to uh, McDonald Road. I'd take that down to the town of Scottsburg, get on Green Level, come back to Lee Sidmore, and I'd have me a nice chunk of land. But, you know, I got to thinking, if I would take Lee Sidmore 
to McDonald Road and take Coleman over to Wolf Trap, Wolf Trap to 360, I think I could do that in a day, 360 back to Terry's Bridge, Terry's Bridge back to Scottsburg, back green level. That would be a whole lot more. And you know, when I get to the intersection of Terry's Bridge, if I got the time, I could just continue down 360 to the light, come back that way, and imagine that chunk of land. And I'm telling you, boys, there's some big deer in that, <laughs> in that country. You know, this is human nature, what we're talking about here. Coveting is an attitude. Coveting is a strong inner emotion. It is very much a matter of the heart. And I'll say here that God created us with the emotion to covet, just like he created us with the emotion of anger. We'll talk about that more later. But Jesus said in Mark 7, 21 and 22, For from within, out of the heart of man, you see, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thought, thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. And so why is covetousness so evil? Why must we beware of covetousness? We find that right in there with all these other evil sins. I have three reasons why this may be. And by the way, I don't have points and have this message all lined out today and in an outline, we're just going to talk about some things. But I do have three reasons why covetousness is so evil. Number one, coveting is a strong desire. A motivation so strong that the one who covets something will have it if there is any possible way to do so. Even if it involves evil. And you can think of the story of King Ahab coveting Naboth's vineyard. That would be an example of this strong motivation and how evil happened there. And then we can think of David coveting Bathsheba. That's another example of the strong desire that is with coveting. The second reason I have that coveting is so evil, coveting is a consuming desire which is highly competitive. It is an evil attitude which will likely lead to an evil act. Coveting is a kind of conspiracy in one's soul to commit evil. And I had to think of the story of Cain killing his brother Abel. I thought too of King Saul coveting the reputation of young David. And third, Coveting is simply an excessive desire for that which you do not have, or excessive desire to add more to what you do have, like the man we just read about. 
I will tear down my barns and build greater. Now, there is nothing wrong with wanting certain things, like something better for yourself or something better for your family. There's nothing wrong with that. What we are looking at today is an excessive desire that compromises convictions to gain something that you want. An envious desire for what someone else has, desiring what they have to be yours. The tenth of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not covet. Exodus 20, 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. That last little phrase covers it all. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And in that passage it says ungodly men are filled with all manner of wickedness and corruption. And in the list of horrible sins that follows, covetousness is near the top. And why would that be? I asked that question before. Why is covetousness so evil? Why is, so, why is it so wicked? Why does Jesus say beware of covetousness? I would believe one reason is, is because covetousness has such far-reaching effects. Others will often suffer from the actions of a covetous person. Eve coveted the fruit in the garden, and we know what happened. Lot coveted the best land. You know how that turned out for him. Ahab coveted Nabal's vineyard. We talked about that, mentioned that one already. David coveted Bathsheba. And you know, the heartache and the things that followed that family forever because of that coveting is horrendous. Just, just read about it. It tore his family apart. Judas coveted 30 pieces of silver. Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, they coveted a good reputation. In all these stories, the sin of covetousness had far-reaching effects. The story of Achan coveting in Joshua chapter 6 and 7 is a textbook example of the far-reaching effects of covetousness. Not only did Achan covet the forbidden things, he disobeyed God's instructions when he took the gold and silver and the Babylonish garment and hid them in his tent. How he planned to use these forbidden things, I do not know. 
He couldn't wear the clothes for sure. <laughs> he would have stuck out like a sore thumb. I don't know if occasionally he put them on in his tent and, you know, kind of pranced around a little. I don't know what his plan was for those clothes. And the money, you know, they lived in a real close community. How was he going to spend that money without looking suspicious? You know, how comes Aiken has 10 donkeys? This don't make sense. He, he bought five of them last week. It's just in that close community, you couldn't spend money without it being noticed. So what he planned to do with these forbidden things, I have no idea. But in Aiken's story, covetousness had far-reaching effects. And why don't you just turn over to Joshua? Let's, let's read the end of Achan's story. It's not pretty, but we'll read it. Joshua 7, 24 through 26. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, now notice, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Jesus said, Beware of covetousness. It will destroy you, it will destroy your family. When you see the word beware, what comes to your mind? A sign that says beware of the dog, what immediately comes to your mind? Well, for me, it's a big, mean dog, and a dog that will probably bite you if he has opportunity. I once saw a sign that said, forget the dog, beware of the owner. Now what comes to your mind? When we see the word beware, we go into a mode of watching, observing. We're on guard. We're alert. Why? Because we realize the potential, the potential danger. The dog may bite. The owner may shoot. In Aiken's story, Joshua had put up the beware signs. It was clear. It was clear to everybody, keep yourself from the accursed things. However, Achan chased or chose to do otherwise. When Achan was confronted for his sin, he responded with, I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. And if he was here today, he would tell us, and yes, I got stoned. 
Folks, that is the way of covetousness. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid, and in the end it destroyed me. The Bible says in James 1, 13 through 16, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desires have conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And so I take from these verses, it is always best to deal with covetousness when it's a thought in the mind. Because as it says, sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. And I believe the key for overcoming covetousness is found in contentment. Be content with such things as you have. Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the thing, things he possesses. I have something here that I recently um, found in my mother's things, and I thought I would just share a few uh, contentment. This is a contentment lesson. But it says across the top, public auction. This would have been a flyer for my grandfather's auction when they would have been um, downsizing, when they would have been uh, selling the, the farm and uh, moving to a small single wide trailer. One thing that's missing on here is the year. It was July 17, but the year is not on this paper and I wish it was. But I thinking it was around 50 years ago maybe a little bit more. But uh, my grandfather, his name was Jesse L. Kimball. He lived in Flintstone, Maryland. And I just, the, um, just this list, this sales list, the, the things that are on the sale uh, stood out to me. I mean, this, this is his accumulation of what he had to sell at the end of the life. But um, they had a small farm. I think they had about 100 acres. He also had a day job. Farming wasn't a whole lot different back then than it is now. You know, to make things meet, he had to work a day job. But here's the farm equipment that my grandfather had to sell 50 years ago. He had a Ford Ferguson tractor and plows, International Tractor 200 with quick hitch and loader, a pickup disc, an International Corn Picker, a garden tractor, a one, two, and three shovel plows, hay rake, mowing machine, spring tooth harrow, and about one ton of old hay, about 50 bushels of corn. Seven cows, seven calves, about four months old, one bull, five months old, 
and then a list of veterinarian equipment. He also had a 1951 Plymouth car. Good motor, one owner, three good tires. That was his accumulation of many, many years of working hard in the mountains of Western Maryland. And you know, just because that's all my grandfather owned and that's all he had to sell doesn't mean that he didn't struggle with uh, contentment. But I, I just share that to just simply say that one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says. It's been said, and I agree, that a thankful heart is a safe heart. Be content with such things as you have. Ephesians 5, 1 through 3 says, Be imitators of God. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and give himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, right there in with those other sins, let it not even be named among you as it as is fitting for saints. I want to change our focus now from the evil of coveting to coveting things that are good. We want to uh, close out today on a positive note. But I'd like for you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to the very last verse, verse 31. But here the Bible says to earnestly desire, or the old king would say, or the King James would say, the best gifts. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 12, here the Apostle Paul is writing about the body of Christ and how it is made up of many members with many different gifts that all working together contribute, contribute to the needs of the body. And Paul ends this passage with the words, desire earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. What is the more excellent way that is more excellent than even the best gifts that we should covet? And I believe the answer is found in chapter 13. And so I would like to read 1 Corinthians 13 at this time. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging, clanging symbol. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and although I have faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, 
does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am knowing. And now abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Here is what Paul calls the more excellent way, the way of love. This chapter brings balance to what Paul was teaching in chapter 12 and what he will continue to, to teach in chapter 14. Spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts are necessary in the church. But we must remember, though I speak, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I have faith, though I bestow all my goods, Though I give my body to be burned, without love, it profits me nothing. Verse 8, love never fails. Unlike prophecies or tongues or knowledge, love never fails. Verse 13, love abides. Abides means to continue, to dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, love abides. Earnestly covet the best gifts. Make them your own and then share these coveted gifts in the more excellent way, the way of love. Now, if you would, turn over to chapter 14 and notice verse 39. Again, we have the word desire, or the King James says, covet. Therefore, brethren, desire or covet earnestly, again, we have the word earnestly, to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Covet to prophesy or covet to speak under inspiration the things of God. And so we just learned to desire earnestly the best gifts. Now Paul says to desire earnestly to prophesy. You know, when we covet something earnestly, the thing that we covet will become ours. That is as true in the positive as it is in the negative. When we covet something earnestly, those things we covet will become ours. And so, now that we have obtained those coveted gifts, 
that Paul speaks about in chapter 12, now desire or covet to prophesy. Covet to teach the ways of God. Show by your life the more excellent way that he puts there between those two chapters. In other words, be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Desire to prophesy. Desire to teach the ways of God. Live it out. Be an example. That is something that we can covet earnestly. When we have the desire in our hearts to have those best gifts that Paul is speaking about in chapter 12 and then the desire to share those gifts, we move into a beautiful circle of blessing. It's a beautiful circle of God's faithfulness that grows as each generation desires the best gifts and earnestly desires to prophesy the ways of God. It's a circle that goes on and on and grows and grows. But each one faithfully needs to jump into that circle. Desire the best gifts. Desire to prophesy. And that circle will go on and on to eternity. Well, in closing, God created us with a burning desire to covet. This strong emotion of the heart has so much potential for good and blessing. The coveted things of this old world never quite deliver like they promise. The coveted things of God bring peace and blessing to our souls. I want to close with three verses from 2 Timothy chapter 2, 19, 20, and 21. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanse himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We'll call for a closing song.